Hey guys, so we got a different idea of, of what we're going to try out this week. As you know, I'm always changing things up. I'm not one of the kind of people who can keep things the same every single week. Um, so what we're actually doing is the first half of this half one hour live stream is going to be talking. Uh, sorry, I think there's an airplane going past. Um, first hour is going to be us talking about the news and what's going on. Um, and the second half hour is going to be as actually taking your questions. So prepare your questions, know where the chat is, know how to use it, and you can post your questions in there in the second half hour. Um, so we're gonna see if you guys like this. If you have good quality questions for us, we'll keep doing this. If all your questions are silly, we won't be taking questions anymore. How are you, Mark, this week? I'm very good, thank you. I, I've got to say that was possibly the greatest intro we've ever had. You come over like a teacher there. If you can be good and ask sensible questions, there's going to be plenty of questions. But if you're silly, next week, no questions. Exactly. What we're going to have a because I'm like the, Tara's like the good teacher, and like she tries to get the best out of you, whereas I'm the bad influence, and I get the worst out of people. So what we're going to do is, if you want to ask silly questions, I'll answer anything. If you want to ask sensible questions, they're the ones that Tara can answer. You see, I don't have any shame or embarrassment. I'm quite good at this. So <laughs> Tara, sensible questions, Mark, crazy questions. So okay. based on that, I think everyone will get on quite well. And, uh, you know, hopefully, this week it won't degenerate into uh my personal life <laughs> but i mean if we want if you want to go there we can if you want to turn this into a counseling session we can go there <laughs> great okay yeah so the first thing we're going to talk about this week actually mark's done an entire video on this but there's a specific on the uh transsexual issue of transsexuals but there's just an interesting thing to talk about which is that one of these transsexuals i don't know the name of this person but he, black boy, grew up and decided to become a white woman and then trash white people and say that white people are uh, all racist or whatever it is that they said. Is that right, Mark? You, I mean, you've covered this. I did. I've, if, if you want to drop onto my, um, my YouTube channel, which is just Mark Collett, you can look me up. Um, I'm sure many of you have already. Uh, it's about this guy who is called now Munro Bergdorf, but comically, his real name's Ian. I mean, I find that really funny because you couldn't get a more vanilla name. His name's Ian, but now he's Munro Bergdorf. And obviously, this fella, I like calling them fellas as well. That really triggers them when you call them, for, not just a man, but a fella, I like that. So this fella decides it's gonna be a woman. And it's obviously then gets taken on by L'Oreal and L'Oreal wanted this transgender so you know it could fill its diversity quota because i mean this is everything isn't it it's not white it's a tranny and it's now nominally a woman so you're covering virtually all bases all you needed was a disability on top of that you know sort of like a leg missing and that would have been it it would have been crowned emperor of the universe i suppose emperor is probably the wrong pronoun though but anyway this sort of this fella decides to come out with an outburst that all whites are racist that we're all the bad guys and you might have heard it well i should imagine most of you've heard about this if you're you know been watching things and you're red pilled and obviously it went on uh, this morning with piers Mor i think it's this morning it's the one with piers morgan and they had a battle of the wits um the, the tranny was coming out with all the usual stuff you know you've, you've probably heard it all before the patriarchy you know the white man keeping them down but the interesting thing is what tara said if you have a look at ian before his transition and you have a look at ian after the transition not only has it supposedly gone from male to female, but it's also gone from black to white. The skin tone has been dramatically bleached. It's obviously had major rhinoplasty to reduce the African nasal features. And it really does kind of look like a full-on Michael Jackson-style transformation. So it's a bit rich, really, that this Ian slash Munro, whatever you want to call it, is blasting people about racism because if Ian slash Munro was so comfortable being black, was so into her blackness as the independent, not me, the independent called her, her I didn't, um, the independent called it, uh, you know, so into its blackness, so into its uh, identity, then why is it so desperate 
to look European. And I always find this um, a real kind of contradiction, especially amongst these sort of famous sort of almost black power celebrities like we've all saw that ridiculous Beyonce performance that she did at the Super Bowl where she dressed in the Black Panther gear and did the Black Power salutes yet if you look at her throughout her career the amount of sort of cosmetic surgery she's had to make herself look more white is absolutely absurd um, now I'm proud of what I am I don't change my features to look like the features of another race and I don't see why these people do, especially when they're so hateful towards white. So they don't like us. Why try to look like us? Yeah, actually, that reminds me of how um, when you're when you're white, when you're Irish, anyway. I know this, but any I'm sure many white people get it. If you don't have like a, a deep tan, people say things like "You're too white." <laughs> have you heard this, Mark? Like, well, I've got a maybe it's a thing else like that. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of girls, like, you literally get told you're too white, like, your skin is actually too white, you're luminous, you know, you need to go get a tan, you need to put self-tan on, you need to get spray tanned or go on a tanning bed or something. Um, and I, one day, I was, I was uh, visiting Southeast Asia, and I saw on television, I was, I was watching the adverts, and on television, L'Oreal had this thing, like, um, um, how to make your skin whiter that you know they have the oh, actually, actually it was Garnier they had this thing like how to make your skin whiter skin whitening cream and I was like wow you gotta be really crazy to use that and then I flipped the channel and they had the exact same bottle with fake tan in it and at that point I was like whoa I'm not buying into this anymore <laughs> <laughs> it's probably actually like a, a scheme to sort of homogenize us all. So we get a little bit darker, they get a bit lighter, and we're all just kind of like <laughs> the same sort of sort of tone, exactly the same. You know, there's no differentiation, there's no indigenous Europeans, there's no indigenous anything. All it is is one great multicultural mix that lives off a mixture of McDonald's, Coca-Cola, and MTV. And that's obviously, you know, part of the ultimate game plan to you know, erase people's individuality. But the funny thing is, with this sort of, you know, this tranny creature, is for it to come out and claim, you know, attack whites for having white privilege, but then wanting to, to look white. I mean, how utterly absurd. And I think it's one of those um, post-op things as well, which again is hilarious, because obviously gender identity disorder is a mental issue. You wouldn't say to uh, someone suffering from anorexia, you know what? I think if you lost a bit more weight, it might solve your mental problem. Yeah. <laughs> with these, you know, with these transsexuals, they decide, you know, we're, we're going to put you on this, you know, course of hormones. <laughs> we're going to, you know, sort of have a, you know, change, your, you know, butcher your genitals so you end up with something that looks like a, you know, a horror on the scale of somewhere between the Sarlacc pit and somewhere between a squashed hedgehog. And it's absolutely horrific to even think of. And then... These people are then meant to walk out, feel confident, feel good in their own skin, but no one's actually solving the deep mental issues at the heart of their problems. And that's why they have such high suicide rates. Nearly, I think it's nearly 50, nearly 50% 50 in um, people aged under 26. For transgenders, yeah. 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 And I mean, it's just evident that they have a mental illness. I mean, any in any other age in history, they would have obviously recognized that. And um, wanting to go and have plastic surgery, etc. Like the only reason they can do that is because of the modern technology we have. You know, so it's just it's just quite silly, really. But you know, I do wonder what you know. You know what Alex Jones famously said about. Um, the frogs are turning gay because of you know the chemicals in the water, and it's like now now we're actually mainstream news articles are actually talking about fish changing gender because of the all the hormones and hormonal disruptors in the water, and um, I know uh, Corey he won't he literally um, is like phobic <laughs> of of any of these like modern chemical cleaning products because he's worried that they're gonna. Um, disrupt his testosterone and turn him into a woman or something <laughs> you know same way people are scared about eating soy it's uh 
I wonder how much truth there is to it, basically, you know, in that why are we seeing all these men, you know, even though it's only like 0.3% of the population who actually become transgender, but why are there all these very effeminate men? What do you think about that, Mark? I definitely think, I think there's two things that are causing it. I think there is definitely something in people's diet. There's definitely something that's not right. And I think a lot of this is linked with um, recycled water. I mean, that's what it is with the fish, isn't it? The hormones from um, women's estrogen from women's pills, which are being washed out into sort of, you know, water sort of purification plants and damaging the ecosystem. So there could be definitely something in that. But I think it's also men or young boys have traditionally um, built their sort of superego, their sense of, um, you know, who they look up to and where they get their morality from, from their fathers. They've looked to their father as a role model. And had they not had a father, traditionally there's always been strong role models surrounding them in the community, in the environment, and strong national role models. And these strong role models have been taken away from kids. And there's a huge growth in single parent families and kids growing up without a male role model. And I think, you know, add that to the fact that the, the media, the uh, the press, Hollywood, love to push the emasculated, effeminate, weak male, the growth of feminism. All of this puts huge pressure on young boys to be more feminine. And there's also this really, really odd thing now where a lot of like beta males and sort of white knights, they actually think that if they present themselves to females as weak and effeminate and sort of like sort of sissy men, women will somehow be able to identify with them more, want to be with them because they are more feminine. And all of these dangerous sort of swirling um, influences on young men are completely warping their minds. And you, you, know, you throw in the hormonal problems and boom, you know, and processed, you know, processed food as well, where they're not getting the right nutrients, all of these things, lack of physical activity in schools, all of it robs men of what they should be. And it is a huge, huge problem. And it's not just the small amount that are actual, you know, suffering from gender identity disorder, but it's just the slow emasculation of young men. And this prevent, presents a huge problem because believe me, weak emasculated men they don't build civilizations, but nor do they defend them either. And it's leaving us as a racial group, as the defenseless racial group, the ones that would just roll over and die if push came to shove. Yeah, and I mean, I've experienced this myself because whenever I tweet anything or make a video saying like, hey, we should all start working out, you know, it's good to be fit and it's, you should be able to lift and you should be able to run and you should be able to be prepared for emergency emergency scenarios, etc. I get a load of guys, I'm not going to call them any names, but they, they throw a bit of a hissy fit telling me that I shouldn't say that for some reason. Why do you think that is? I think uh, I've experienced this and I'm going to really... I, I always manage to say something that's going to upset someone, so we might as well start early in the show with me causing some offence. I found this sort of poisonous kind of um, undercurrent in nationalism of people that don't actually want to do anything. So rather than actually going out and doing something positive, they say, mate, you're not going to get me out doing anything positive. I'm waiting for the big clash. And you're like, what? Yeah, the race war. When it comes, that's when you'll see me. I'm not going to be out leafleting with you or knocking door to door people's houses in the rain or getting involved in the community politics. That's for mugs. You know, when the time comes, I'll be stood at your side. And you look at them and you think, will you? Will you really? Because you're not a member of a gym. You don't go running. You don't go biking. You've probably only ever handled a rifle when you've sat in your bedroom playing Call of Duty, eating Doritos and drinking Mountain Dew. You... And yet you're going to be the one that's going to take the war to the enemy when the time comes. And actually, these people, they're just making excuses for their inactivity. They constantly want to tell everyone that they're going to be the guy on the front line. But they're not. Because if these people who will constantly talk about these extreme measures actually believed in their own nonsense, believe me, they would be down the gym more than me. And I've met these people, and I'll say to them, do you fancy coming to the gym? Do you fancy doing a bit of boxing? Do you fancy going for a bike ride? Do you fancy going for a run? And none of them want to. 
None of them want to. Oh, mate, I, I ain't got time for that. I, I couldn't be doing that. I've not. And some of them actually say to me, oh, if I did 10K, I'd die. Well, look, mate, if you actually believe in the garbage that you're talking about, you know, taking the fight to your enemies, not that I'm suggesting people should do that because I believe in community politics and going down legitimate routes, but if you talk about taking the war to your enemies and you can't run 10K, well, here's news for you. You're going to be doomed if push comes to shove. If it literally ends up in sort of a walking dead style scenario, which you're fantasizing over, and you can't run 10K, you can barely roll off your sofa to get to the front door to get your kebab that's been delivered by one of the ethnic minorities that you're supposed to dislike. Believe me, when push comes to shove, it's game over for you. Because if you actually want to believe in that, if you actually believe in that, I'd, I'd, you know, I might disagree with you, but I'd respect you if you lived up to your beliefs. I'd respect you if you actually went out there and said, look, Mark, I'm at the boxing gym three nights a week and my 10K is now 41 minutes. I'd say, well, that's better than me, mate. So, you know, hats off to you. Yeah. Anyway, talking about effeminate men, Antifa has officially been recognized as a terrorist organization, which is a, a win for us. Um, and apparently it's it's being recognized since early 2016, according to confidential law enforcement documents um, of Homeland Security, Department of Homeland Security. So that is that is a very good sign. I'm very pleased to know that. Um, it does make me wonder which other groups they consider to be domestic terrorists, but I think very clearly um, Antifa is a domestic terrorist group and you know, I think we put out a, a White House poll asking for it to be officially recognized as a domestic terrorist group. Well, turns out it already is, according to Homeland Security. So I think that's a bit of a win um, and we can almost put it to rest, but I think that it's quite funny watching um, all the leftists suddenly disavowing Antifa because before they were like supportive of it and now it's actually recognized as a domestic terrorist group, they're suddenly like trying to back off, so. Interesting turn of events there. It certainly is. I mean, the, the Antifa, they, they really are the lowest of the low. And what they've been doing, what they've been getting away with is actually, you know, is absolutely despicable. And they've always got away with it because essentially they are or have been when the Democrats were in power. And I don't think that would have happened had Donald Trump not won the election. I don't think they would be on the terrorist list had Trump not been in power. These people are the first line of defense for the state, because really, we are the true radicals. We're the people who are pushing in the opposite direction to the entire system. The whole system, whether it's conservatives, liberals, Marxists, they're all moving down one direction. That direction is multiculturalism, mass immigration, and ultimately white genocide. Sure, the conservatives move a little slower, you know, the liberals move faster, and the Marxists move at light speed, but it's all going in one direction. And we're the only ones that are going in the other direction. We're the only ones talking about preserving the white race, talking about preserving Western civilization in a meaningful sense. And when I say preserving Western civilization, I mean carrying it on. I don't just mean like ruins standing there in 200 years for people to look at and go, wow, the people who lived in the West 200 years ago were wonderful, weren't they? I mean, actually carrying on Western civilization. But because of that, because we're the only true revolutionaries, you can see how the state, and I don't just mean liberals, leftists, Democrats, people like John McCain as well, conservatives who are part of the neocon movement, they have used Antifa as their first line of defense in trying to stop us turning around society and taking it back in a positive direction. So to see them listed as terrorists, that's, um, that's very good times, very good times indeed. Yeah, uh, something, now the next news event that I wanted to talk about is, is um, less encouraging, obviously, um, and that is that the UK, in the UK, um, now, this is only one small police, uh, what would you call it, area, region, one police, regional police um, service. But basically, it's come out that they've issued 100 cautions, which is basically just like a warning, like without really, I don't think they even arrest people in that situation, um, for rape and other serious sexual offences in the past 
five years. So when, when someone is found to have raped or committed a serious offence, rather than actually arresting them, taking them to court, you know, getting put them in prison, they just give them like a caution. Do you even know what a caution is, Mark? Yes, I do. I've never had one, but I do know what one is. A caution is usually something when you've done something that would be considered as a little naughty rather than doing anything that's a serious crime. So you do get arrested. So say um, we all went out on a night out and things got a little heated and somebody maybe was got a little mouthy and shouted, you know, abuse at a police officer or pushed somebody in the street or, you know, was sick down the front of a kebab shop window and was a bit drunk and disorderly. You might get arrested for that. And it's not a serious offence. So they'll put you in a cell overnight and in the morning they'll say, look, do you accept what you've done is not very good? We're going to give you a caution. And if you accept the caution, there'll be no more for it. The caution sits on your record but it's not actually a criminal record. You haven't been found guilty of anything. You've just accepted a caution for your behavior. So it's like a very, very minor thing. So, you know, it usually does apply to people who have gone out on an evening and probably had a bit too much to drink, acted the fool, feel embarrassed the next morning when they wake up in the police cell and the police just want to process them and get them out of there because they haven't committed serious criminality. They've just been a little bit silly. But once you start giving people cautions, <laughs> for serious sexual offences and the sexual abuse, grooming and sexual abuse of children, that is a huge misuse of the caution system. And it's putting the sexual abuse of children on the same level as somebody who's had a few too many beers, you know, and hurls a couple of chips at somebody else in a kebab shop, because that's what cautions are usually right. reserved for. And I'm just reading the headline now, actually, UK police force issues over 100 cautions for rape, sexual assault against children. So it's actually worse than I thought, it's, this is against children. Um, so why is it, do you think, Mark, that police, who are supposed to, you know, uphold the law and, and be there to, you know, uphold justice, basically, so that we don't have to get into feuds and, you know, take matters into our own hands, why are the police so willing to just you know, give out a caution to someone who's raped or sexually abused a child? Well, I think, as with all of our institutions, whether you're looking at the school system, local government, the uh, civil service, the police, you know, even the fire brigade, all of these institutions, which were once there to sort of protect and serve the West and keep it strong and to make sure society stayed on the right track, all of these organizations, all these public bodies have been captured by the left. I mean, as sort of a side thing, I don't know how many of you guys have heard it, and if you haven't, you should look into it. It was called the Long March Through the Institutions, where the left realized they were not going to affect revolution by marching on the streets. They realized they weren't going to bring about a giant change in society by holding demonstrations or by having massive kickoffs or doing what they did at the G20 riots. They, they still do those things, but they realized that wasn't what was going to get them where they wanted to be. So they started educating themselves and they went into institutions like the police, like the education system, like the civil service, like local government, and they started to capture all of these institutions and infest them with their cultural Marxism. And that's exactly why you see these police commissioners covering up things like grooming, putting in new sort of rulings like this. I think we talked last week about the police in London saying they would only investigate crimes against ethnic minorities first and would refuse to investigate um, crimes against white males they would be essentially second-class citizens as far as the police could tell. And this is just part of that agenda. It's part of what the cultural Marxists have pushed. And if you look at all these leading police commissioners, if you look where they stand, they look at, at what they are, are pushing, you look at their statements, they all come from this small clique of Marxists who have taken this long march through the institutions and have tried to capture and twist Western society by capturing these public bodies. Right, and I mean the next the next article is just it's just deja vu, you know, it's like the same thing happening over and over again. So a guy has 
a new guy has been jailed after hitting a Muslim teen with a slab of bacon after hurling insults at her and her mother. So it's like, okay, you go to jail if you like put bacon, you slap someone with a bake bacon, or it, in the case of Sweden, if you eat a bacon sandwich in front of them on a train, or if you throw bacon at a mosque, um, then you will go to jail. But if you actually rape or abuse children, probably just get a warning, right? Yes, indeed. I mean, I was sort of, sort of like half laughing there because I don't know why, but I just thought, I know that when I was a kid, I used to like sort of horror stories about vampires and things. And one of these, one of these things was that you kept vampires away from your house by sort of like having garlic hung outside your house or potentially throwing garlic at vampires. I just wonder if you're worried about your children getting groomed by these Muslim gangs, if you hung like bacon on your door, would that keep Muslim grooming gangs away from your children? Maybe that could be tried. But on a serious yeah. note, I do find it absolutely absurd that the sort of thing that we would potentially have got up into the you know, school cafeteria nonsense, like hurling food at people, can literally be, you know, end in a prison sentence. It's like, we talked earlier about a caution. Well, the kind of thing that you would get cautioned for is being in sort of a burger joint late at night after having a few beers and flicking chips or hurling the gherkin out of your burger at some um, someone you'd take an exception to. But now, talking about actually jailing people for what amounts to sort of cafeteria hijinks at school is just absolutely absurd and to really put it on a level you are cautioning people who are committing serious sex offenses and you are jailing people who essentially are committing no more than cautionable offenses and it's like taking it back to what we said about the transgenders earlier everything is being flipped on its head male female female male you know, reality, fantasy, you know, if, you, if you've got a mental illness, we now fix it by, you know, mutilating your genitals rather than fixing your mental problem. And obviously now cautionable offences have become capital offences and capital offences have to be flipped too. So they're now cautionable offences. So you can see the cultural Marxist agenda that everything is just flipped on its head and we are descending into sort of this pit of absolute lunacy and madness. And you're thinking to yourself, where's it going to end? And I know we've spoken about this privately before, Tara, but every time something crazy happens and I send you like a little Skype message, you always say, is this peak degeneracy? And then every week the peak gets even higher. It's like, it's like the episode of The Simpsons where Homer climbs that mountain and he gets to the top. And as he's just about to put his flag in, the clouds clear and he realizes the peak goes higher than the clouds. And that's where we are with degeneracy. Every time you break the cloud cover to plant the flag of peak degeneracy, you realize there's another peak above the peak you could see. And each one gets even crazier and madder. And you're thinking, where will it stop? But who knows? Yeah, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm agnostic, so I don't have any real set spiritual beliefs or anything, but like, if I was religious, I would definitely think this is some kind of de demonic force happening here because this stuff is so backwards, you know. Um, but yeah, guys, please start as asking us questions and we'll start answering them. I just wanted to say, obviously, we couldn't really talk about Field Right and This Week, etc. without also mentioning that Hurricane Irma is coming up. It's going to hit Florida, likely, and um, 600,000 people have been evacuated from that area. Uh, it's one of the biggest hurricanes we have ever seen on record um, and it's pretty much demolished quite a lot of the smaller islands down in Central America so you know be prepared for that um, based on your location if you're in the way or if you have friends there and um, yeah it's uh, it's quite horrible to see this happening so you know so soon after hurricane harvey you know i'm not sure if it you is. have anything to add there yeah well i was going to say uh, my heart goes out to people and, and you know a good announcement briefer show good friend of both of ours um she obviously lived in Tesco in texas she came through the hurricane all right and my heart really does go out 
to all the people suffering with that. And I hope the communities down there come together and there's, you know, a minimal loss of life and destruction of livelihood because it, it, it is, you know, here in Britain, I do feel, I was saying this on the David Duke show today, actually, earlier, I was saying we, we're quite lucky in that we don't have hurricanes, volcanoes, tsunamis, earthquakes. We're very lucky. But there's one thing I did want to ask you about, actually, Tara. Um, we've been talking a lot today about the old trannies. Well, there's been a case in the UK. I don't know if anything like this has happened in America yet. It's um, there's a certain sort of like comedic irony to this. Um, a transgender rapist, so this is a, a man pretending to be a woman who's gone on a raping spree, and he's been put in jail in the UK, obviously put into a male jail, at which point he complained that you know his human rights were being violated. So they relocated him immediately in a female jail at which point he started sexually harassing and um, touching the female prisoners. And I was just wondering, you know, do you have any perspective on that? How's, has the transgender agenda gone that far in the US yet? Oh yeah, I do have a perspective on that. Um, it's well known in nature, actually. It's called the sneaky fucker syndrome. And... <laughs> no, it's, it's really cool that it's the sneaky fucker syndrome. And it's when the males, make themselves appear female so that the dominant males won't view them as a threat and then they mate with the females and this is an actual reproductive strategy and i find it very interesting because there is a transgender person on youtube can't remember the name um but he he has gone through like he first of all he had a a normal youtube channel then he's like comes out as gay then he comes out as transgender. Then he comes out as lesbian transgender. So ultimately it's come full circle from the point where he was a, you know, a beta male to now, you know, have, having sex with women. <laughs> so. um, is, is that that Riley Dennis? Um, I can't remember the name, unfortunately. Do you think that's his plan all along then to sort of like, I think it's a subconscious mating strategy, you know, wow. when, when males can't compete with, you know, more alpha, more dominant males, and they don't want the conflict, well, a great way of achieving that is to pretend to be female or to be a very effeminate. Yeah, because you see, I've, I have actually heard of, of men pretending to be gay to sort of like win the confidence of a female group and say, oh, I'm like one of the girls. And then obviously, as they get to like him more and more, he's like, oh, maybe I got it all wrong. And the thing is, Emma, you're so perfect and we get on so well. What if I just reevaluate everything and we just sort of have sex for a while? You know, it's that's yeah. what we could do. Um, uh, in fact, there was an episode of Malcolm in the Middle where uh, Malcolm's older brother Francis tried that, uh, tried that very tactic although he got dragged to a Christian group who tried to uh, pray it out of him. So it backfired hilariously on him. But yeah, Mike, I love Mike that Penn's show. Got him. Yeah, I did. Malcolm in the Middle was fantastic. It's, uh, it's really funny as well to see where they all are today. I, there's actually a video. For anyone who likes Malcolm in the Middle, there's a video that shows where they, where they all ended up, and it's uh, surprising where some of them ended up in life. Yeah, and I also wanted to let people know just a, a, while I'm on the announcements thing, um, we're going to have a live stream 11 a.m. tomorrow, that's Saturday, um, on my other channel, Reality Hall Show, where, we're gonna, where I'm going to be hosting a debate. Um, these debates are quite fun, so we might be doing it regularly, but definitely uh, check that out. Now we're going to get on to answering your questions. So. Um, Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you before oh. we did question answers. Um, okay. And it's for people in the UK. I mean, I'm sure we've got plenty of people in the UK um, listening or watching, whichever way. There's this whole thing about the Dreamers and DACA and Trump saying that he's going to deport the Dreamers. And I was just wondering if he could give us a bit of a US perspective on the whole Dreamers-DACA issue, because it's something that I'm not fully up to speed upon what are they and what what is the current situation and is it likely that congress or the senate will try and block trump from from deporting these people are they illegals the, the children's of illegals I, as i say i'm not 100 percent sure yeah honestly i haven't been following that specific thing um i'm expecting whatever trump is doing is going to get shut down you know by whatever 
judges or Supreme Court people, you have the power to do that because that's kind of the pattern of what's been happening. Um, if it doesn't get shut down, they'll start paying a little bit more attention. Well, James Costello keeps asking one question. What is our take on the British soldiers being arrested as terror suspects? So that's obviously, he really wants an answer to this. Well, obviously for people who don't know, there's been four lads who are soldiers who were arrested under the UK terror law for being linked with the banned organization, National Action. Um, as of yet, I don't know what Tara thinks about this, but as of yet, I don't really want to comment on that because I don't know what the evidence is. It could be one of two things, really. The government, obviously, want to say to the public, and they're desperate to say this, and this is, I'll make a plea after this, so I, I hope everyone listens to my plea, um, that the government wants to say the right wing as in us, nationalists, or, you know, whatever you want to call us, um, are as bad as the Muslims. Now, if you actually look at the sort of, I think there's about 80 organisations in the UK that are banned under the terror laws, and I think about roughly 69 of them are Islamic organisations, about further 10 relate to the, um, the troubles in Northern Ireland, and one is a nationalist organization which is national action so it could simply be the case that the government is looking for anything so they can arrest a group of people and they can say um these people are as bad as the muslims this goes to show that the right and the muslims you know just different sides of the same coin they all need to be targeted and if we're going to shut down these islamic organizations we're going to shut down the right-wing ones too to please the muslim population and make us look balanced it could be that it could be more these people might have said or done things they might have planned something i don't know and in anything like this i like to see what evidence actually comes out before i sort of go in and double down on something because obviously i'm hugely distrustful of the government i know they've got a huge agenda I know that National Action, although was prescribed as a terrorist group, had never actually committed any terrorist acts. They'd never killed anyone, they'd never attacked anyone, they'd never blown anyone up, they'd never done anything like that. Um, but they were prescribed as a sort of like, don't worry Muslims, we're not just gonna ban you, we're gonna ban these too. So it could be the case of that, but they could have done something wrong, so I don't really want to go into that. Um, and I suppose a knock-on question, Mark, should National Action have registered as a political party? Would that have kept them from being recognised as a terrorist group? I don't know. I think they made several. I did a whole video on it. You can watch it on my channel. I think they made several um, errors in what they were doing. And this is going to make me sound like some old man. So, you know, you can all sort of say, yeah, old man, call it, he's gone soft. But my advice to young people is these groups that want to be super edgy, and potentially will get you into trouble. I want you all to be nationalists, but I want you to live good lives. And when I say live a good life, like, if anyone's got the right to talk about making mistakes, it's me. There's, you can just Google my documentaries on YouTube. You know, I did stupid things when I was in my early 20s. I was on a couple of documentaries. And those things still, to a degree, haunt me to this day. You know, I was full of energy, full of youthful naivety. I threw myself into things. I said things that were, you know, probably I shouldn't have said. And that, that affects your life. And it affected my university education. And I want to say to all the young people listening to this, you know, however many there, there is, you know, get your education sort your life out, support nationalism, but do it in a way that isn't going to, you know, put a huge barrier between you and achieving the other things you want in your life. Don't make the same mistakes I did. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And I don't want to sound like I'm preaching to people. But as I said, I've walked that path. And yeah, I came through okay at the other side. I, you know, didn't end up getting sent to prison, you know, I've come through, I'm doing what I'm doing now, and I'm here to give you advice, but it has stopped me doing things. It has affected my personal relationships, it affected my university education, it affected my ability to earn money and work in the commercial world, and it still affects me to a degree to this day. And it probably, if I ever wanted to go into mainstream politics again, like I was before, it would affect that, and it will always be thrown in my face. And what I'm saying to you guys is, when you're young, 
try not to do things that are, that are going to affect the whole path of the rest of your life. You know, and that might sound like, as I said, like I'm trying to preach, but I'm not. I'm trying to give you guys uh, a little bit of um, sort of my knowledge and my perspective. And, and if you think I don't have the right to be talking about this, please just Google me, please. And after you've read down the first 10 articles, you'll see no one has more right to talk about this than I do. Yeah, it is, um, you know, we're, we're in an uncertain situation, you know, like 30 years from now, you know, communists might be running the world and they might want to kill people like me, you know, I mean, they already do, but they just don't have the power to be able to do that. But um, so it's a gamble. But I mean, from my perspective, I, th I think it's totally worth taking a gamble. I mean, the alternative is us dying out, basically, or, you know, we have to fight what's happening. Don't you, don't you think? No, no, what I'm saying is not, I'm not saying don't do what we're doing. I'm saying don't do it in a way that compromises you. Now, I want everyone out there to come out and say, I'm a nationalist. I don't want any of you to be cooks and hide. That's not what I'm saying. So if that's coming over the wrong way, which it might have done, please don't think that. You've all got to stick your head above the parapet. But when you stick your head above the parapet, just make sure you do it in a way that isn't going to impact on your life and i've said and done things that have impacted on my life and i know in britain now there's young guys who've said some things they shouldn't have done and they're either in jail or they're awaiting trial for simply saying things on facebook which you wouldn't have said were you in a pub or in a in polite society and all i'm saying is please you know be on our side, put your head above the parapet, fly our flag, but do it in a way that isn't going to turn you into a pariah. Because, you know, let me be the pariah. I've been the pariah and I'm going to be that for the rest of my life because of the things I've done. Let me be the guy that takes the punishment, learn from my mistakes, fly the flag, get behind us, you know, speak to your friends, your family, campaign for us, do good things, improve yourself, be a better person, but do it in a way that isn't going to get you thrown out of university or isn't going to get you disbarred from working as in your dream job or isn't going to you know, make it so that you have to sit down with the girl that you like um, and say, you know, we've been getting on really well for the past two months. And I know that you said you want to be with me and potentially move in, but maybe you should um, Google me first because <laughs> that's a bad thing to have to say. And no, I'm not saying about um, the JQ. I'm not saying don't talk about the JQ. What I'm saying is um, don't do things. You know, these people who constantly talk about the race war or things like this, and then mouth off about what they're going to do or do things that are obviously beyond the pale and going to get yourself arrested. Don't do that. You know, spread the message, but do it in a sensible and above board way and talk about things. Like if you want to talk about the JQ, talk about it the way David Duke does. Talk about the Zio control of the media. Talk about, you know, the Jewish influence in the porn industry or the way, you know, the Jewish influence of the refugee crisis. Do it in a way that's sensible and isn't going to compromise your future. And I'm just saying, make sure you walk that line because I don't want to see other people, you know, potentially having to put up with the issues that, you know, I have. Yeah, I think it's a little bit confusing where that line is because some people are saying like, even being a Trump supporter, that'll even get you like fired from your job, or you know, not hired at least. Um, so it's very difficult. I mean, even being pro-Brexit, I mean, <laughs> you know, when I was in London and I was pro-Brexit and people would like trying to shove Remain leaflets in my face and I was just like, no way, I'm not taking one of those. Um, you know, the looks I got were like, you know, had um, green, I was going to say green hair, but that's normal, so I'll say green skin. <laughs> <You know? laughs> No, I know what you mean, you, you know, but what I'm saying is if, look, if you become a pariah for talking about Brexit or supporting Trump or saying, you know, I'm proud of being white, be a pariah for that. But if you end up being a pariah because you got caught in some skull mask at three in the morning, spray painting offensive graffiti on the side of the synagogue, 
you've gone wrong, lad. You've gone wrong. And that's what I'm talking about. The line is, <laughs> the line is, if you can look your, I always say, I have a friend in the past <laughs> from the old BMP days, and he always used to have this thing which he used to call the mum test. And it's when we ever wrote a leaflet, he'd say, does it pass the mum test? And the mum test was getting your mum to read the leaflet. And if she said, you know what, that's a really powerful leaflet that puts over your views in a, a really good and sensible manner. That leaflet would be a cracking leaflet. But if your mum was like, I think you've gone a bit too far there, Mark. That's when Marky's gone a bit too far. And everyone who knows me knows that I have a penchant or did for going a little bit too far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a good message because a lot of the people um, online, for example, on Gab, we've had, I don't know if you've seen it, Mark, but um, basically because it's a pro free speech website, there are some people who just like to push the boundaries and just like to find out exactly where they are. Um, and so cause havoc in doing so. Um, Who threatened yeah. Gab? Was it, is it true that Gab actually got threatened? Not by the guy who runs Gab, but by people who host it, who own the servers? Yeah, I think what happened is someone called uh, Vox a pedophile or something like that. And basically because he was afraid that that could potentially cause problems in the future, like, you know, Child Protective Services might take his kids away or something. Um, he wanted that post to be taken down. But Andrew Torbert, who is the co-founder of Gab, wouldn't take it down because he says um, he doesn't want to have to play judge and jury. He doesn't want to have to see what's liable, what's not. So um, Ven Vox Day said he may need to get a legal subpoena or something like this. I don't really understand law in order to um, get access to that person's details in order to sue that person for libel. So that's the little thing that's gone on. But now it turns out, I think Fox Day said that he's not going to involve Gab in it, he's just going to go directly after a person. So that's what went on. But there are also lots of other incidences on Gab where, you know, people are really pushing the boundaries. And obviously the mainstream media loves this because they go and take screenshots of these, you know, Gab posts saying really crazy things and then they they make it out like this is what gab's all about it's like a white supremacist you know anti-gay pro-nazi thing when really it's just a pro-free speech platform yeah no i i completely agree um i i think the thing with that is as well there's a big difference between free speech and libel and um, free speech is putting over your opinions uh libel is just coming out and calling people names that could damage them that are blatantly untrue. And it, yeah, he would have to then subpoena um, the, the company who owns the service to get the details of the person who did it. We've got a good question here. Um, it says, somebody said, a guy called 14 Heart of the Order 88 has asked, Mark, so protests like proper white men, drop the swastikas and be more like Vanguard America. Am I right? Well, I think it was actually, of all people, I believe it was actually Ang Andrew Anglin who said this. Um, you actually had him on your channel. He actually said it on Tara's channel. It was an excellent discussion between, it was Andrew and I've forgotten who the other guy was actually. I, it was Andrew who was sort of impressed on me the most. He said that at um, Charlottesville, there shouldn't have been any swastikas or Klansmen or Klansman flags. It should have just been American flags. Because from a point of view of literally a propaganda win to see Antifa attacking people for just flying American flags and literally seeing Antifa ripping American flags out of people's hands and burning them and throwing things at people just flying the American flag. He said would have been a proper, these aren't my words, this is what Andrew was saying on um, Tara's channel. And I thought that was a very powerful point that Andrew Anglin made that if you set yourself up like that. You're essentially setting a trap for your enemy because when Antifa come and throw paint over three ladies f flying American flags, that does make them look exactly what they are, that they're not about anti-fascism, that they're about the destruction of the West. So I think there is a tactical advantage at certain points, definitely, between you know, in using the correct flags, the correct symbolry. So if your enemies do come and assault you, they can't have a picture of a guy LARPing down the street with a giant big Swazi flag, which then they justify as saying, oh, well, that's why the anti-fascists are here, because he's got a swastika flag. Whereas if the image is 
you know, of people attacking, as I said, three women holding American flags, all of a sudden, the entire discourse is flipped on its head. I don't know what you think about that, Tara. I, I agree. I think that works very well in America. Um, it's interesting to think, though, what would happen in the UK, because in the UK, having an English flag is considered racist in many areas and culturally kind of considered racist nowadays. It is. And that's something which uh, we are faced with. But I still think in the minds of most people in England, especially like, you know, everyone here loves football and they love the England flag, except for you know, the only people who dislike it really are leftists and uh, immigrants, you know. So I, I think it would still have helped. Another question here, which is quite good. What do I think of the nationalist movements in Eastern Europe, like Poland, Hungary, uh, Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic or Slovakia? And yes, I like them. I like them very much. Um, on my channel, I did a big talk about a weekend I spent in Latvia when I marched um, with the people who were commemorating those who fought against the uh, Soviet Union, who fought against communism, and I was absolutely blown away. Not just blown away by the numbers on the march, but the quality of the people and how they present themselves. They are very well presented, they have a good mix of males and females, everyone's dressed smartly. However, I will say this, when you see their events, those events aren't directly exportable to Western Europe. Like when I went on the march in Latvia, there was about 4,000 people, which is fantastic when you consider that Latvia only has about 4 million in population. So as a percentage of the population turning out for a nationalist march, that's very impressive. You know, that's not just the percent, that's not just the population of Riga, but the population of the whole country of Latvia. So you see that and you think that's great, but that's not directly exportable to the West. So what I don't like to see is when you see a nationalist march that walks through a town centre and there's maybe 40 people on it and the left turn up with one, 200 people and dwarf it. And I think it's all about choosing the right tactics. And if you're in the smaller number, I'm afraid marching isn't your thing. You know, the Vietnamese didn't beat the Americans by scheduling a battle, turning up on the battlefield and facing you know, tanks and helicopters in open warfare. The Vietnamese beat them by using guerrilla tactics. And when you're the smaller force, um, when you can't have a big display of power, don't try to have a big display of power. Box clever, use guerrilla tactics, use flash demos, get in and out. Um, and if the day comes in Western Europe, when we can put, um, you know, a sizable proportion of the population on the street, like they do in Latvia or Poland or the Czech Republic, then it's time for us to do that. What are your thoughts on that, Tara? Yeah, it's um, like, I I personally think our strategy should be normie outreach um, or getting people who, you know, might have been brought up right wing, but they never really kind of thought about it on a deep level and, and kind of just waking them up to personally, I like to to expose people to the racial differences, you know, the truth about racial differences. And I strongly believe that certain racial groups are just not compatible with each other when they live in the same country. And just to try to explain this to people, um, because I think when people see that, they th then they realize the need, you know, for nationalism. I mean, that was my own path. So it kind of seems to make sense to me that that would work for other people as well. I know people like Andrew Anglin, who uh, runs for Daily Stormer, I think because maybe his path was discovering that not everything he had learned about the Holocaust at school was, you know, the truth according to other historians, because he got this alternative perspective, and that's what, like, so-called red-pilled him on that topic, he thinks that that's going to red pill other people, so that's why he pushes that, you know, way of waking people up to, uh, you know, maybe manipulated history, manipulated media, etc. For me, it's actually the manipulated education system. You know, I I used to really, I used to really love science at school, believed everything teachers told me as gospel. You know, um, so for me, realizing that what I see published in mainstream newspapers about Oh, IQ doesn't mean anything, we're all the same, race doesn't really mean anything, you know, we're all interchangeable, we're all equal. When I found out that that wasn't true, as I'm writing in my book, Irreplaceable, um, that will be published hopefully in 2018, 
Um, when I found that out, that made me completely reevaluate my worldview. And for, because of that, I think maybe if I teach other people this information, it would actually make them reevaluate as well. What do you think, Mark? Well, actually, I was going to bounce something else to you because there's a really nice question that Awestruck Chemicals has just asked, which, which dovetails with that, which says, what is the best way? And this is a great one for you from what you've just said. What is the best way to try and convince friends and family about race, race realism and white ethno-nationalism? Should I even be trying to convince them or should I just let them be? And I think that's a great place for you to continue what you were saying. So it was quite powerful. Yeah, well... Um, I think there are many paths to the truth, you know, so it, it, I would go with whatever you happen to be most knowledgeable about, um, and possibly what that person is open to, you know, different people are going to have different perspectives and different worldviews, you know, some people are very religious, they believe that the world's only been around for 6,000 years, they're going to have a different perspective, why would God do that, you know, why would God make us unequal or whatever. Some people might be very scientific, and if presented with the scientific papers, they might just read the papers and say, hey, you're right. I mean, that's what I did with Corey. He didn't believe me when I told him about this stuff. I just sent him the science papers. He read the papers and said, hey, you're right. <laughs> you know. So um, with different people are going to look to the mainstream media, they're going to need to see some kind of mainstream or semi-mainstream or well-presented arguments or presentation maybe by a professor or authority figure to convince them so for for different people you're gonna have different strategies and some people are going to be open to listening if you speak you know generally for most people i find that um speaking very gently and reasonably and uh, multiple times not expecting them to change their entire worldview in one sitting is the best way to change their perspective. I agree, and I, my advice to people who want to talk to friends and family, assess the person you're talking to. But remember, if you think of when you were a small child, you didn't just roll out of your crib one day and run the 100 meters in under 10 seconds. You have to, you know, you first, you sort of slither along on your stomach and then you begin to crawl and then you get up and you hold on to the side of the sofa and you plod around for a bit and eventually you take your first steps. Then you walk, then you run. And there's a logical pattern in that because that's how people learn. So if you want to talk to friends and family and colleagues, Try not to go in with the last thing that you just learned. You know, what you think is the ultimate red pill, which you came to terms with five years at, down the journey of knowledge. Don't throw that at people as their first red pill. Remember what got you thinking. Now, obviously, that's different from everyone. And, and also think of the situation you're in. Like, if you're in a place like... Um, you know, Bradford where, or Keithley, where there's been grooming, talk about the Islamic issue. If you're in an area where um, jobs have been sent abroad, but there's no ethnic minorities, talk about globalization. Talk to people on the issues that you think they're going to agree with. You know, if you're consoling your friend who's just been dumped by his bird and she's just had a giant bone put through her nose and dyed her hair green and told him that she's going to get sterilized because she's now an intersectional feminist who hates white males, you know, it'd probably be good to talk to him about the evils of feminism because that's what he's going to want to hear about. And that's the way you red pill people. Give them what you want and take them on a journey because all of us have been on our own personal journey. And the last, as I said, I can't iterate this enough, but the last thing that you took in is probably not the first thing that you should be giving out to others. So somebody has added, um, Reverend James Costello, another good question. Um, what words of advice would you, for have, would you have for young people who wallow in misanthropy, who hate and avoid socializing with ordinary people? Um, do you wanna go first on that, Tara, or do you want me to shoot? Um, misanthropy, so hating all humankind. Um, I, I've experienced this, so I can I can actually talk about it. In fact, you know, a few years back, can't remember exactly when it was, but I was actually, um, I pronounced myself an anti-natalist, Mark. I don't know if you're aware of this. No, no. Um, so I was, I was actually 
like after I turned vegan, I was like, yes, we must, we must find ways to prevent suffering. How can we prevent suffering? And basically, you know, I came to the conclusion, and this is a common, it's not, it's not like I came to this conclusion in an original way. This is actually a philosophical school of thought um, that the cause of suffering is life. And in order to do that, we need to cease to reproduce to end suffering. Um, so what changed my perspective around was one, <laughs> stop being a materialist atheist and become more open-minded to spiritual metaphysics or however you want to say it, um, to, you know, to there being some other purpose to life other than just, you know, hedonism or hedonism or however you say it. And, um, and the other thing that changed my mind around, changed my mind around was, uh, well, maybe the point of life is not simply to reduce suffering, or maybe the point of life is not just simply to increase the amount of pleasure you've experienced in your lifetime. Maybe the point of life is uh, glory, you know, and I think um, the golden one, he's always talking about glory. Is it glorious, you know? And um, I, I actually love his perspective of that. Is it glorious? Are we going to build a glorious civilization or are we going to build a degenerate one? And personally, I don't know if this is going to work for everyone, but for me, the idea that we are working toward building something glorious and being as glorious as possible in the meantime, um, that, that sounds like an awesome goal. And it, to me, it sounds something that, um, something very godly, something that if there is a god, God would approve of. So it's this very personal thing. Obviously, people have their own personal perspectives. Um, but yeah, I would say that you need to, you know, do you think the goal in life is to reduce all suffering? You know, if so, staying in your room and never going out is a great way to avoid potential suffering outside of your room. Um, do you think the goal of your life is to just increase pleasure, in which case you'll spend all of your time running after whatever you think it is going to give you pleasure or becoming obese or, you know, drunk or whatever. Like these people tend to become very unhappy ultimately. Um, I personally think one of the best goals is to aim to be glorious and create glorious, you know, society and civilization and be part of something bigger than yourself as well. And I've seen that also in uh, Richard Spencer. He talks about you know, we've got to conquer the known universe, you know, we've got to go out and uh, build spaceships and things like this, and he's an atheist, but his idea is that we need to, you know, still go out and conquer the unknown, do something that's bigger than yourself and that is like a mission um, or a, a goal that's worthy of pursue, pursuing. I agree. Um, my message on the whole misanthropy issue is, Obviously, I wrote a book called The Fall of Western Man. You can download it for free from my website, www.fallofwesternman.com. A bit of a shameless plug there. But importantly, it's all about community and the fact that if we're not a cohesive community, if we don't stand together, we lose. And misanthropy, hating everyone, actually plays into the hands of our enemies. If we hate our brothers and sisters, if we hate our neighbors, if we hate our extended family, because that's what we are, you know, Muslims, they see themselves as extended family with other Muslims. The blacks call themselves the black community. And if we don't stand together as a white community, if we don't stand together as a cohesive group, we're gonna be beaten because we can't win if we're atomized individuals. And misanthropy is a, uh, is a real terrible thing because not only is it something that prevents you coming together with your brothers and sisters, your friends, your family, etc., it also warps you inside and you don't get a sense of well-being by just hating everything around you and refusing to sort of get on or refusing to be friends or being stuck inside. And I've just got to echo what Tara said that ultimately if you want to be glorious, and if you want to build something better, if you want to uh, actually go out there and engage with people and make a better society, you have to have love for your own people. You know, I'm not saying you shouldn't hate. Of course you should hate. Hate's a natural emotion. Don't let the left ever 
take your ability to hate away from you. It's important to hate those who want to destroy what you love is natural, on, natural, honorable, and it's a good thing. But to hate everyone is a bad thing, and ultimately that's self-destructive. You need to be out there, and you need to be you know, loving towards your own people to build something better. And part of, uh, part of that is having a family. It's having children. It's meeting your soulmates, building something bigger. And you can't do that if you just sit in your bedroom, you know, screwing your face up and deciding that you despise the world. That's, that's not going to get anyone anywhere. And I know that's going to be at least one person in the comments now who starts going, oh, he's a collectivist. <laughs> yeah, well, as I said the other week, you can't beat a large cohesive community if you're on your own because you're not a superhero. So put down the Marvel comics. You know, you're not, you're not going to be Spider-Man and knock people, knock 100 people out on your own. You know, when they come for you as a cohesive community, you're going to need to stand there as a cohesive community yourself with your brothers and sisters that's how the west got where it was and that's what we need to build again and we won't rebuild that with either individualism or misanthropy both of those two things will end up damaging us um incredibly now somebody's asked a very good question here which ties but in with community i think we're gonna and now, because I actually have another interview after this, but... Um, oh, my God. I've been yeah. unceremoniously dumped. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're going to have to cut it off there, but... Um, Sorry, guys. All these lovely questions. Save your questions. If you want to... Um, are we on next week again? Yeah, same time, same place. Same everyone. time next week. So if you didn't get your question answered, I'm really sorry. Um, but uh, I've... Uh, it's, it's like when you think something's going really well with a girl and she's like, it's not going well, get out now. This is what's happened to me. But like live on air, the shame is just, this is the... Well, this is the finish. <laughs> We've actually got five minutes over. So so thanks everyone for joining us. And obviously you know where to find Mark, Mark Collette on YouTube, on Twitter. Are you on Gab yet? I'm not on Gab. I can't cope with any more social networks. My head will explode if I have Fair any enough, social that's okay. I've only I do need to do it. Though. I do need to do it. You you push it hard. I need to do it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. I'm liking the way it's going. Um, so yeah, guys, like this is normally live streamed on the Reality Calls Show channel, but I might soon be switching to live streaming on my Tara McCarthy channel. I'll let you guys know. Um, obviously, watch out. Best to subscribe to both channels, and then you'll find out. <laughs> okay. Um, I hope you all have a great day, and everyone who is in a hurricane zone. I, ho I hope that you're safe and take care of yourselves and your family. Thank you.